Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Terms show, we tackle the tax questions that we get most often. We brought in Andrew Topping, who is our accountant, and went through some personal tax stuff, some corporate tax stuff, specifically tried to focus on real estate stuff. That's what we're asked about, obviously, the most, um, and I guess taxes are something that it seems every real estate investor has tons of questions on. So in this episode, we uh, tackle a bunch of them. There's a lot more to talk to Andrew about. He is a great guy. I used to work at Deloitte. You'll hear a bit of his story. Um, he does our personal taxes and our corporate taxes. So, uh, yeah, I think we cover a bunch of uh, a bunch of different stuff. You'll hear some uh, banter back and forth. But um, after we uh, after we settle down, we kind of get into it. And if you're listening to this and you know somebody or you yourself want to know about real estate investing strategies and you want a book on explaining some of them, the book that we've shared for years now, it's called Income for Life for Canadians. It's been downloaded. We think we should check this, but I, I feel like it's at least 70, 75,000 times. Um, so it's been downloaded a whole bunch of times. We actually sell the book on amazon.com, but uh, we give away a digital copy away for free. So if you've been thinking about investing in real estate or you have a friend that's been thinking in real estate, you can share this book with them. We give it away for free at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. So if you go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books, you will find the book Income for Life that's been downloaded. We think, I'm going to check this, but it's been 70, 75,000 times, I believe. Um, and uh, share that with them. It gives a good overview of some of the strategies we've over the years and introduces pretty much everyone from um, all walks of life into the real estate investing world. So that's Income for Life for Canadians at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. And with that, let's get into the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. So I never thought accounting was going to be exciting stuff. And before you can say what you think, Nick, before you can say, uh, do you think it's exciting now? Yes, I do think it's exciting now because when you own properties and start a business and then have multiple businesses, it gets awesome because you can move money around. I feel like, was it the, the Price is Right that had that game with the coconuts and there was a ball underneath it and you had to kind of get, they would move it all around and you would guess where the ball was. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's right. how taxes are. It's like once you have multiple properties and corporations, you kind of like moving stuff around Andrew am I'm, I I'm, I'm not I'm not really sure I would ever call it exciting um interesting maybe interesting. exciting not so much yeah, yeah, yeah. why accountants aren't known for being exciting people uh not any that I know okay so <laughs> I, I I gotta ask this though <laughs> I like how Andrew just laughs after he says so that. before we get into the accounting stuff let's get down to the real business this is the stuff people want to know outside of the accounting firm when accountants get together at a party, does it just like, so like after tax time, does all hell break loose? Like does everyone just go on a big bet? Like you guys all get together on May 7th and you just go on like a, and I know it's not a day after, you give yourself a week to rest and then you just go on a big bender? Uh, actually, so for for my firm now, it's like two months later because I would actually just look horrible in front of my staff. But when I was working for Deloitte, we literally, the day of, so April 30th, there was a party that night. Oh, it must have been. It was a good one. <laughs> and, and as dull and uh, boring as accountants tend to be, 
that party was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I broke a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> I, be, I believe that. I believe that because it's the conservative people that kind of hold it in for a period of time. When they let it out, boy, it it, it all comes out. Yeah, I it mean, comes it was pouring out. The, the 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 location was probably not the best choice. There was pool and ping pong and a bunch of other things. I'm not sure they had any ping pong paddles left at the end of the night. I'm not sure there was any ping pong balls. I think there was a couple pool cues that got broken. Wow. <laughs> Accountants on a rampage. There's a movie there somewhere. <laughs> Holy smokes. Actually, I think there is a movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So um, the reason, I, you know what's interesting is before no one would talk, no one asked me about accountants until we got into the world of real estate. And then all real estate investors seem to have accounting questions. And and the questions primarily are actually you know what before I get to the question I just need to know this how did you become an accountant how does someone go becoming you went to university and then said I like credits and debits <laughs> uh, uh no actually it started in high school um, if you said yes that's <laughs> <is> scary <laughs> so I mean in high school uh, I had a very very close friend and we sort of you know we did everything together. Um, and, you know, we sort of were split between IT, so computer-related programming, those types of things, um, and accounting. And really, the only reason we liked accounting was because the, the, the teacher at the time was a very interesting person. He had the best stories. Uh, he had the best little quips, um, things like that. So that was really what drew me um, for good or bad. Uh, you when had I, a witty <laughs> accounting teacher? Wow. <laughs> changed your life it did, it, yeah 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 he was an interesting guy and that's really um but i actually when i when i left high school i went into computers so i went to school uh i went to college for three years or four years whatever it was at the time um got my computer science uh, diploma uh and then i worked for nortel for a number of years uh basically doing work on voice over ip when nortel went horribly wrong um Again, before I was an accountant, I had nothing to do with the accounting at Nortel. Uh, at that point in time, I decided, you know, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. And as I said, when I left high school, it was either computers or uh, accounting. Um, I was with my now wife at the time, whose father was an accountant. Um, and I said, ah, okay, well, let's... The stars aligned. Let's let's see where this I goes. I forget, that's so, a university degree? And then so for you when don't have I, to pick accounting until two years into your That's year. right, yeah. So I went back to school, basically. I went back to university. I started at the University of Ottawa. I did a year there. Uh, I actually lived in the States for a year. I did a year of school in Connecticut. And then I moved to Hamilton, and I finished my Bachelor of Commerce at um, McMaster. And then after that, what happens? You take that exam? So after that, then you do, again, the whole process has now changed because they've changed. They've amalgamated the three accounting groups in Ontario. Yeah, because and what's your designation now? So I'm a CPA, the same as all of the uh, new accounting, but I'm. they allowed us to basically, I'm, I'm going to say hyphenate, it's not correct. It's uh, basically CPA comma CA, but they allowed us to keep our original designations. So okay. I'm still a CPA CA. Anybody that and people, I'm only I'm going to laugh because people care about that. <laughs> Sorry, you know what? It's they the do. CA, I do. The CA thing is like this cherished thing, right? Like because you finished that freaking <laughs> exam. I remember because I had friends who were like writing that exam, and some of them didn't get through it the first time, and they finally got that CA designation, and that was like a huge deal. Yeah, I mean the the C the original CA designation was a, um, 
I think a more involved designation at the time. Now that they've amalgamated everything and they've sort of combined everything, uh, it doesn't seem to, and I, I'm sure anybody that has you know recently written the exams would disagree, but it doesn't seem to be as pure as it was. Oh wow! Ten I love years how ago. we got into the politics of the <laughs> counting world. <laughs> got it. Okay, so anyone finishing now though is a CPA. Is a CPA chartered which is, professional accountant. That's correct. Which is the same term that they use in the U.S. The same term they use in the U.K. Um, so they tried to basically make it the same so got that it. everybody goes. When they come to Canada, they go, oh, CPA, okay. that's the... Okay, got it. So the fact the that you have the CA, that's your way of just saying, hey, everybody, stand down. I'm a little I bit have, better. I'm a little bit... <laughs> I have, I'm have. i a CA. You're not. You're a CPA. Yeah. I, I yeah, mean, yeah. I've worked with... Um, it's like engineers uh, who show me their engineering ring. That's right. You know, I mean, I'm an engineer. Uh, and I say that tongue-in-cheek. I mean, uh, you know... CA is definitely, it is the older designation, but I've worked with CMAs from the old school CMAs, CGAs before the amalgamation that are far better than I am in certain areas of accounting. So it doesn't really matter what background, whether you're a CA or a CMA or a CGA. Um, it just, to me at the time, the three different groups make sense. So CAs kind of filled this niche, CGAs What was the niche? niche. Uh, now, yeah, was, CAs were... Uh, so CAs... The old CA was um, more or less the only publicly licensed accountant. So by publicly licensed, they mean they can do audits, they can do reviews, okay. um, they can sort of issue opinion letters. In the prior groups, CGAs and CMAs in general were not publicly licensed, so they couldn't do that type of work. So they worked for a corporation doing that work They internally? They could still have their own accounting practice, but they could only do compilations or notice to readers and tax. The old school CA could do more in the accounting field than the other two designations. And more, as an example, that would be? Well, to the audit and review side, oh, as it. well as issuing sort of yeah, opinions on it. certain things. Got it. CMAs were Jeez. sort of, Whoa. they worked for corporations. They were sort of the internal accountants and things like that. And to some extent, far better than some CAs, including myself, at the business, you know, running the business type accounting. You mentioned Nortel earlier. Did you know Nick was buying stock? What price were you buying Nortel stock at when you were convinced it couldn't go lower? No, I was never convinced it could go lower. But I, nah, it, I'm pretty sure up. you were convinced it couldn't go no, lower. No, because it doubled from when I bought it, and yeah. it split. So I bought it. I think I bought it. At, I want to say a thousand bucks, but it went up to two thousand. I thought you bought some at three dollars. No. Oh, oh no. But it couldn't go lower down there. No, I, yeah. I never did. Oh, no, no. no For I some reason, did. in my mind, I remember I thought you bought some at three dollars and then it no. went to zero. I think I, I think <laughs> well, maybe it was not a thousand bucks. I think it was a hundred bucks. Okay, yeah, that's what I bought it at. I, I think I spent like. Didn't I, it go down it, to three dollars and ultimately oh, just? Yeah, I, I ultimately got nothing out of it. I think uh, I like because we all have those stocks. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, show, yeah. it showed up in my. It showed up in my my TD account, like the investing account, for a number of years at like I don't know fifty cent value or something. Just wouldn't go. I couldn't. I didn't know how to get rid of the line item. Because yeah, is that I what happened to Nortel? Bucks. Like it just, if you had a thousand dollars in there, it literally just went to zero. Yeah, I mean, but I you, at, so. least get, at least you had to, to claim the loss. Yeah. <laughs> so you could claim the loss. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There's the counting coming right out in Angel right there. <laughs> the upside to this is you that have was a one loss. of my, that was like one of my earliest stock investments. I forget if it was a thousand or 2000 bucks at that time, that thousand or $2,000 to me felt like oh. a monstrous Huge. investment, right? It was, yeah. and then it went up. To 200 bucks and it doubled. I was like, whoo, this is great. And then it just started nosing. So then yeah. it was like 75 bucks. I'm like, oh, I can't go low. 50 bucks. No, it's got to come back a little bit. It's Nortel. It's 25 bucks. And then it was just like, how does this keep getting all the way down there? Well, that was, I mean, I started with Nortel in 1998, which was the glory days. 
1998 oh, Nortel was even better. You were you were the peak, man. There was you a, were the a peak. party every Friday. Oh, as much food. That as building you could in eat. Brampton. That building in Brampton existed. Up I then, was I was in Ottawa actually. Oh, so I oh, worked at the Nor- uh, Nortel in Ottawa. But there was now I think Rogers in the owns tech it, area of Ottawa. In the tech yes. area of Ottawa, yes. With so, Corel, yeah, Corel Draw. Remember, Corel we were a little draw? farther away from Corel, but yeah, oh, yeah. That's another one, I don't that's think another that one that just went zero. I think. Um, but, okay. Ottawa's got Shopify now. They've made up for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those were the days. Wow, many flashbacks. Um, okay. So, yeah. I just, Are you going to ask an accounting question? <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask an accounting question, but something else popped. Oh, the marijuana stocks. That's what popped in my mind. That's reminding me of the tech stocks right now. Because we there's someone, I can't mention any names, but there's someone two degrees of separation away from Nick and I that has uh, has a friend, so that person I guess is three degrees of separation, that made 8,000, or no, is it 6,000 or 8,000% return on their marijuana stock? Oh yeah, I don't know. And now the marijuana stock tips through the office here and the gym are just flying around, and people are coming to me saying, Tom, are you not going to, to put some money into some of these marijuana stocks? And I'm like, I lived <laughs> through the tech bubble. I lived through it. And I do believe these companies are gonna make a lot of money because I know there's a lot of people buying marijuana yeah so and by the way did you hear that molson just uh reached out to some of these companies and said can they do like infused beers and beverages and stuff and they were the second they were the second one they oh were they yeah there was if you look at the article there was a second one i think it was whoever owns corona i think was the first one so so it's coming down the pike as a parent it's a very challenging times because we were raised in that generation that like hey man this stuff's illegal for sure now you can't say that at all because Trudeau has just made it all well I went to I went to um uh like an in-laws house for a birthday party we were walking up to the front door the next door neighbors the houses are relatively close together the next door neighbors were sitting on the porch smoking marijuana because I could smell it right and and that's when it hit home with me and you know my kids don't think anything of it right now they don't even know it's marijuana right they're too young but in my head I'm thinking I'm like hmm this is interesting because yeah. that's just going to be normal, normal and it's going to be nothing to it whereas yeah before it was like oh oh my god yeah they're smoking marijuana yeah yeah <laughs> you know you gotta you got, so different like it's, big it's just thing, a different so. world but uh anyway so i'm not jumping on any of these stocks because listen i'm someone who i can't remember if i actually put the money but i remember being in tech support at oracle and somebody coming to my cubicle desk and saying tom you got to get on this company millionaire.com i'll never forget this and, then, and i go millionaire.com why? And they said, well, that's where all the millionaires are going to go online. And I remember thinking, I literally remember thinking, man, that's a good idea. I think I should invest in millionaire.com. And I don't think I ever did. I don't even know if they went public or anything, but uh, I had my fair share of pets.com stuff, my Oracle shares, a whole bunch of tech stuff that went up and down. And I'm like, you know what? I obviously am not trained for this game. And I think over the years, Nick and I believe if we don't have information firsthand, we can't win. So like, what, that's why we like real estate because you can touch it and feel it. Right, I know what yeah. the rents are yeah, going to yeah. be. I know what this is going to be and I can make money off this where I feel like the other stuff's all kind of uh, a black hole. But we do know someone who made 6,000% return and took out some of the money and is having fun with it. Who, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if this is a hearsay story. Yeah, yeah. but they, I mean, No, they, it's a true story. It's okay. a true story. They, might be, they also might be arrested in two weeks for something else. We're not sure. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. I don't know. Well, no, I, no. I mean, there was, there was Bitcoin and that yeah. went on for a while yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, still yeah, kind yeah. of in yeah. the background. Yeah, yeah. And now it's, now it's marijuana stock. So yeah, the the Bitcoin graph is really interesting if you look at it, because a lot of people, I mean, look, I'm not, this isn't knocking Bitcoin long-term and stuff, but anything, any asset value that rises at that level 
in history, there's always been a correction. Right. Like, yeah. You know, it's just kind of the way it goes. And there was a lot of different articles that mapped it to different manias, like like the tulip, tulip mania. mania. And if you look at this, the graph, when they're mapped together along the timelines, it's actually very similar. Yeah, pretty accurate. Right? Yeah. So I'm not saying it's going back to zero or anything like that. I'm not making any Bitcoin. I'm not a Bitcoin hater before, you know, people start reaching out to me. And, you know, but yeah, the fun has gotten out of the whole story. That's for totally. sure. Well, I mean, what, look, when it was jumping, like, like it was just... It was just basically straight up. I remember that one day when it was like, it's at 12,000. Wait, it's at 13,000. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it's at 14,000. You know, I was like, holy smokes. But uh, anyway, okay, yes, we do need to talk to uh, extract real estate information. I guess that one of the questions uh, we get asked all the time are, if I am a, an, I, I don't know the current state of this because it hasn't been our situation for some time, but if I'm a T4 employee making money from a corporation and I buy a rental property, Mm-hmm. Are there any tax advantages to me or tax efficiencies or what is there stuff that I can do there or no? Um, and, and I mean, I'll give you my standard answer. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll just keep you. And I know I know everyone's situation is going to be different. But what is, is the so standard answer? The high level is if you have a rental property on your personal uh, and let's just for argument's sake say that you're you're generating a loss on it. Yeah. Okay. Then it actually is beneficial on your personal because you can use a loss on rental income to offset your other sources of income. So if you're a T4 employee um, and your T4 is $70,000 and you end up with a $5,000 loss on your rental property, now your taxable income or your total income is going to go down by the $5,000 loss on your rental property. So now you're 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 not you're not looking at total income of $70,000, you're looking at total income of $65,000. So could and there's is and how, uh, how long does the CRA have to come back to you on this stuff? Uh, so because I want to share a story, but I'm just not sure if I can. <laughs> it's 2018, so, so we're looking at 2011. So about, I think seven years. Twenty, uh, no, eighteen years. Something okay, like that. yeah, and then you're fine. So technically, CRA can only reassess you within three years of the date of your assessment for the year in which the event occurred. Okay. Now, now if there's if there's any like if it's fraud indication of fraud yeah. or gross negligence or anything like that then the window gets a lot bigger. Okay. So here's the mistake that I made which was when I first learned the power of the real like the advantage some of the advantages real estate can have if you're a T4 employee. So I was working at the Regional Appeal at the time. I guess I was probably mid $40,000 range in salary, I don't know, maybe high 40,000, but in that range somewhere. And um, I got, uh, I had a rental property that I remember, I think it closed in October. So I was rented out for November. So I had two months worth of income on the property, but I had all the closing costs. So I claimed, I didn't know any better at the time. So I claimed all my land transfer tax, all my legal fees, any other fees associated with the acquisition of the property, which now I know you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to kind of like spread it over a number of years. Yeah. Right? So on on this property, I claimed this huge loss on paper, and I'll never forget it because I got – they were legit expenses. I want to be very clear, Mr. CRA, listening to this right now. Um, No, but but they were legitimate expenses. You just took them all at that. I just took them all at one time, so I should have spread them out. So – um, but that year, I w- remember I was making like less than 50,000 bucks. So let's say around 45,000 bucks. I got like just over a $10,000 tax return. So at that age to get that check com- came to me, I was like, this tax advantage of real estate investing, this is a big Cause deal. in your eyes, you had a cash flow positive property, but you were just claiming these expenses that you used to yeah. acquire the property and then got that check. I was like, who needs yeah. Vegas? I just hit the jackpot yeah, yeah, right here. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess that's kind of the role of an accountant. In the, like in the real world, you can have assets that make cash flow, but 
from a tax perspective, there are sometimes ways through depreciation and other th mechanisms, tax efficiencies. I don't know if that's the right way to, to refer to some of this stuff where you can be cash flow positive, like in the real world. But on paper, you can be negative or be entitled to some credits based on your filings, correct? In some cases, yes. We actually, I mean, we more often see it the other direction where you we, owe tax. Where, where we're actually- Welcome to Canada. <laughs> yeah. Where we're not necessarily cash flow positive. So we're, you know, with all of our expenses and everything else, we're not necessarily cash flow positive, but for tax purposes, we're actually generating a, a tax profit. And, and so can you break that down? So I'm cash flow negative on my month to month stuff but you're profitable because you are because we can't claim the principal repayments on the mortgage so that's yeah, the biggest it. area where because you know you're shelling out two three thousand dollars a month um from a cash flow perspective but each you know whatever amounts going back to your principal that you're not getting a tax deduction for now again early on when we first acquired a property and we've got that sort of that initial mortgage chances are that's not the case because the majority of what you're paying is interest not principal at least in the current day and age. Um, so in those scenarios, we tend to be sort of very similar to cash flow on the accounting side. But if we have no mortgage, or sorry, if we have a mortgage that is a little older, where we're making, you know, our monthly Every payments, payment is gaining a quite a bit of equity. That's right. So we're, we're actually, the majority of our payments are principal repayment. Then we end up at scenarios where we might actually have profit for tax purposes, even though we don't necessarily have positive cash flow. This alone, so what we've asked you like three, one question, two questions, that alone to me is why whenever you get into anything outside than earning a standard T4 income, you need a good accountant to me. Well, because you get lost in this kind of stuff. Yes, and I mean, and, and actually to go back to, to Nick's um, story, all of there's there's a lot of costs, especially on the purchase or on the sale or on a refinance or um, you know in, in some other form of borrowing where there's costs that aren't necessarily immediately deductible in the current year. So you know to keep up on well when can I deduct this and when can I deduct that and what do I have to defer if I if I go and I refinance can I deduct the fees that I paid to refinance for legal into the bank can I deduct those in a single year? Well, you can't. But to know that as just okay, a person so yeah, doing that's a good taxes. example. So you refinance a property. You mm -hmm. have legal fees. You might have appraisal costs. You can have all these costs. Mm -hmm. That to me, as the real estate guy, I would think, okay, great, I can use these as tax deductions. But on the on your side, on the accounting side, you're going to say, well, Tom, you got to spread that out over X amount of years. Would that be the term of the new mortgage? It, that that's I get? exactly. But you it. know why that just seems so frustrating to me is because me, the individual, has incurred those costs on year one. Why can I not take those as expenses? Because the mortgage is amortized out 25 years. Forget. So if you're going to use the five year argument saying, well, you got a five year term mortgage, I'd say, okay, I get it. I am locked into this mortgage for five years. But even the way the bank is freaking calculating this mortgage is a 25-year yeah, amortization. Yeah. So if you want to play that game, shouldn't I have to divide it up 25 times? And I know that's not quite an accurate way to describe that, but I just feel like I'm taking this year one. Like the government wins again. And, and I would agree with you 100%. I yeah, mean, you, you have incurred a cost today. Yeah, yeah. Your cash is gone. Yeah. Um, and you're not going to get necessarily a benefit from that over the next five, 10, whatever years. CRA's argument is you are getting a benefit because you you have the ability to borrow over that period of time. So the fees related to that borrowing should also be deductible over, over that, that period, period of time. time. 
And so let's say somebody says, Andrew, you know what? Thank you for your advice. And I'm going to use you as my accountant. But I would like to. Can you say this to someone like you? Uh, 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 I would like to take these expenses year one. I'm taking your advice. Thank you. And then if CRA comes back to me, I'll true up. Mm-hmm. But in my eyes, it should be this way. Do people, is that something that's done? I get that all the time. Okay. So, so and then CRA can come back and then the, then the person you have to true up, you're not going to beat them on that, that particular one. That's going to be tough to, to, tough sure. to win on. Yeah, so yeah. Um, the way I see my role is, I mean, I'm an advisor. That's my role. Um, I can tell you what the technical is. I can tell you what the rule is. I can tell you to some extent. Uh, from my experience, where we're into a gray area where we might have an argument, where we're into a black and white area where, you know, this is the rule if CRA catches you, there's not much of an argument that we can make to actually win uh, the deduction that we've taken. Um, So, I mean, that's the way I see my role is, okay, here's where we are. Here's the actual rule. If if your decision um, as the actual taxpayer is, I'm going to take this stance um, and if CRA catches me, then you know I'll pay the tax later. I get that, but I think it's it's good for someone to know week. just what they're doing for sure. And then, as opposed to just having no clue and just filling things out. Well, and again, that's that's the role. As I as I said, that's that's the role that I see myself in. Um, my role is to sort of say, here's what that's it is. That's how you keep yourself sane when all the rest of us are running around <laughs> saying, Andrew, why can't I do this and why can't I do well, that? I, I mean, I have my own corporation and I do things that I know are not necessarily correct, but I do them knowing that they're not necessarily correct. Sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. again, that's I see my role as I'm going to tell you what's correct and you are going to make the decision knowing what you should do. You're going to make the decision to do what it is you choose to do but you are going into that with the knowledge. And we call that an information advantage. Like I have what I need to know and I can make our decisions. That's something Nick talks right. about all the time. Yeah. Okay, on the other, on the flip side, we'll always get this. Well, how do I declare my rental income? Like I have to declare that as income. And if that's the case, but do I have to pay tax? And, uh, you know, I always tell people, yeah, like, you know, if you're making money in any form, you're paying tax. And the good news is if you're paying tax, you're likely making money. Um, in theory. In theory. <laughs> uh, but uh, is, is, that, is that the right answer? Rental income, you're adding it on to your personal. Rental income from a property you own in your personal name, you're adding it on to your kind of gross income. That's correct. Yeah. So to go back to your example with, you know, you've got a T4 employee who has a rental property. If at the end of, so when we take their rental income, what they generated, we deduct all of the expenses that they pay, you know, advertising, utilities, mortgage interest, property taxes, those types of things. We deduct all those costs. Whatever our number is at the bottom, if that number is positive, we add that to their T4. If it's negative, we deduct it from their T4. Okay. I forget what form that is on uh I do remember the page though, and because I have a, another question for you. So if I own a property with a, a joint venture part, a partner, so like uh, a brother-in-law, a friend, or whatever, and legally we have a, a relationship around that. But on the accounting side, how would it work? Do both parties? And I, I remember the answer. I just want to confirm. Um, you declare all if we own it fifty percent each. We each declare the same rev income from the property and the same expenses. And then at the bottom of that form in our tax return, we declare how much ownership we have. That's is correct. That, is that the proper yep. way to yep. do it? So on the form I think for a couple of years, to? we were trying to split everything up and we realized how wrong we were doing everything. Um, I mean, the, the forms are actually designed. So the form you're referring to is a T776. That's the personal real estate okay. form that we use on a personal tax return. 
Um, that form. That's what I was thinking. Actually, I thought it was the T775, but no, it's. A, I'm, joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm <laughs> joking. One better. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, on that form, it's actually designed to allow you to basically put in percentage ownership. Um, whether that be actual, you know, you and your wife buy a property and you're both on title or uh, you and someone else under a joint venture agreement purchase property and one is beneficially uh, owning a portion of that property. Uh, assuming that we're 50-50, uh, essentially we record 100% of the the revenue, we record 100% of the expense, and then we split the profit essentially. Can't you, you can write off, uh, forget about the joint venture partnership for a second, but if I own a rental property and I'm going down to show it to tenants, things like that, I can write off kilometers and things as well towards that, can't, can't I, or no? Uh, so this is a really Whoa, weird one. Yeah, this seems like a tricky This is a weird one. There's nothing straight with yeah. accounting. There is nothing, well, actually this is tax more than accounting. Okay, we'll blame it on the government. Um, so the rule for whether you own depends on how many properties you own. And it, again, I don't understand this rule, it doesn't make any sense to me, but if you own a single property, the only vehicle or travel expenses that you can claim are basically to travel to your property and do renovations on your own. Really? Yes. So not even to. But if you're going to show it to tenants, no, to, nothing. Not to oh, show wow. it. Not to find a tenant. Not. I to, thought you were going to say you can nothing. only deduct bus fare. <laughs> that would be funny. So, but it, as soon as you own two rental properties, now you can deduct any travel costs or any vehicle costs related to going to that property. Why, why the rule exists, I'm not entirely sure, but so always buy two. Yeah, <laughs> that's the motivation to get past one. And then, okay, so on gas, sorry. Were you, well, I was just going to ask, well, what about other stuff? Yeah. Like, what about your cell phone? Uh, I was going to ask internet at home. So you, you obviously like, you know, any half decent real estate investor is advertising their properties online. So you're mm -hmm. using the internet to do that. Can you write some of those costs off or no? Um, so again, the technical answer is if we go and we look at, uh, you know, CRA's website and what they percentage say, percentage of usage well, or something? Well, therefore, if we have a business, then we can deduct home office expenses. Against a rental property, CRA is a little bit more restrictive and they say, the only office type expenses that you can have for a rental property relates to buying stuff like stationary. And so the actual deduction for office against a rental is very, very limited. Now, that just seems outdated at this point. And, and, and it may very well be. It's been around forever. It's entirely possible that they're really, you know, are they allowing some home office deductions, assuming that they're reasonable? Probably. But the, the, what it comes down to is the same with any vehicle expenses, the same with anything where we have that sort of personal use, business use, or rental use. It's all proration. So when we look at something like Internet, or, or any other home office expenses. If you look at the percentage of use for home office with respect to say a rental, let's just say you've got a single rental property. The, the use of your home or the use of your internet for that single rental is probably so small. Yeah, it's a that, rounding you know, error. That's my yeah. Netflix usage. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> YouTube, it's Netflix, Snapchat, Instagram. That's right. Yeah. So if we, if we sort of look at, you know, again, okay. how you're going to calculate it, you know, is debatable. But if we sort of say, okay, well, I'm actually only using 2% of my internet for uh, my rentals. So we're going to get 2% of your annual costs. Okay. Well, what about this then? Could I start a business 
um, any sort of business. What if I if I say okay, I'm going to try and claim more expenses. I'm going to use part of my home as a home office. I'm going to I'm a I'm a T4 employee somewhere, but I'm going to start a business selling stuff online. Okay. I am. I just start out in year one. I'm making no money because I'm just building this up. I'm doing nothing, but I, I incorporated. Can I then now, now I know we're getting away from real estate, mm-hmm. but I have a business that I'm not very good at yet. So I'm making no revenue, but I have all these expenses. Can I then, yeah, I'm answering my own question. Then you can write off stuff, but you have nothing to write it off against. I'm not making any revenue. Well, so I mean, again, you can, you're going to create a loss. Yeah. And that loss is going to be, forward. well, so it's going to be deductible against your T4 income again. That loss, but in a corporation? So if we're in the corporate world, then totally Okay, different. so if I made it as a sole proprietorship. If you were a sole proprietorship and you had a business that you start up, you know. So anybody, should, everyone should start a, a money losing business. So there's actually an overarching rule that says if your business, if you're not in business That's right. to yeah, earn yeah. income. Yes. And, you know, basically you have loss after, you know. Year How many after years year do you have year. to start earning income? There's no. Okay. CRA doesn't say if in five years you haven't earned anything, then you're not a business. Okay. Uh, so there's no set period, but you know, based on the activities of your if business, you're ten years in and you haven't earned any income, it's obvious what you're doing. Well, I mean, again, if you're not earning any income and you're just claiming expenses year over year, you're probably going to get questioned sooner than later. Yeah. If you're at least earning income but you're still generating losses, you might be able to get away with that for a long time because you're still you're generating revenue. It's just as you said, you're that's not very good at your business. Yeah, that's interesting because I could then sell to my family and force them to buy products from me. But I'll have enough expenses to make it always a loss. Is this all wrong thinking? Should uh, I not but, be thinking? Yeah, yes, I wouldn't necessarily want to go that road. encourage that, right? Okay. If you do go that road, you probably shouldn't talk about it here. Yeah. <laughs> do it. But, okay. Well, I mean, especially if you have revenue. So what happens is, is if you actually have what you're calling a business and you're but you're generating losses but you have revenue what happens is CRA 10 years down the the road goes well wait a minute we don't think that that's really a business legitimate okay they'll just deny all of your expenses yeah. they'll keep the revenue there got it and then you pay taxes and then pay all. taxes they win oh they win they CRA win, will always man. win they win okay um all right so what about using a core, I buy a property inside a corporation. I'm not going to talk about mortgage qualification in a corporation because it's a completely different matter, but I do buy a property. I own it inside a corporation. What are my tax rates now? And I know there's some details around this, but in general, how would you answer that question? So in general, um, without any additional planning, if we set up a single corporation and we stick a real estate property in that corporation, we are going to pay tax on any profit generated at 50.17%. Okay, that's nice. So the government gets the majority. They're the majority owner. Uh, again, they're basically um, the majority owner. There is a lot of <laughs> Yeah, no, I understand. details. Yeah, yeah. That but upfront if you generate a profit, you're going to pay taxes answer. 50%. Okay. And then how do um, how do corporations um, try to mitigate that. Is that is that where the whole active business thing comes into play, or uh, is, is that just tax planning with someone like yourself? So, so I mean, there there is most a, people are not going to accept like fifty percent. They're going to want to try to do something, right? And so, the fifty percent is I always say it's more of a deterrent than a penalty. So, what happens with the fifty percent is when you're paying tax at that high rate, you create what's called refundable tax. I don't want to get into what refundable tax okay. is, but um, refundable tax is exactly as it sounds. At some point in the future, when the when that corporation pays a dividend to an individual 
and the individual is then going to pay tax on that dividend, the corporation gets a refund of a portion of the tax that it paid on the original transactions. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, so it is, it's, it's a, it's a higher upfront tax rate than we're likely to see unless you're in the highest tax bracket personally, but it's, it's more of a deterrent. It's a more of a, um, it's, it's very, very similar to minimum tax on the personal side where you can recover it later in time. Okay. Okay. And then now then I progress throughout the years and I, I uh, start my own business and I own more properties in general. Um, what is the tax rate structure in Canada for small businesses? So now aside from rental income taxes, just in general, small business taxes, how does that work? So small business taxes, now we're into, we've got an active business. There's something that we're doing that we're not generating. So um, passive investment income, it generally falls into one of five categories being rents, royalties, interest, dividends, or capital gains. Those five areas are going to be taxed differently. And most of them are at 50%. Dividends can be a little bit different where they're not 50%. Okay, and, and can you repeat that for me? So rents, income? Rents, royalties, royalties. interest, dividends, and capital gains. So those five areas tend to fall into the passive income category. Whatever is not one of those is active. And so when we have active income, we get a much lower tax rate in Canada, assuming that you're, you know, meet some other criteria and you're anything that is under $500,000 in profit currently, you're only paying 13.5% in Ontario. In on, so 13.5% is both in Ontario, that, but that is both the that federal is, and right. provincial tax rate. That is the combined federal and provincial 13 and rate. 13.5%. That's better than anyone, any one of our friends in the U.S. I think that's better than anything I've heard of in the U.S. Anytime I've mentioned it, they're, they're always, always shocked. Yeah, they're always surprised. But that's a good tax rate. This is just another reason to me. Uh, for almost everyone at some point to figure out how to start an active business of some sort legitimately. I'm not yes, trying to yeah. talk about like any selling products to your family and stuff. Although that idea did sound kind of, I liked the idea when I first mentioned it. Yeah. But, but we'll have to but, see if we can make that work. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, just because that tax rate. But and the next question is uh, that I get from people at least is like, okay, well, great. I've paid that in my ta- in my business, but I mean, but then when I, I have to pay my tax again, when I, when I take, get pay myself. That's that's the common yeah, thing, yeah. right? So like now, what I think that's doing? the okay. So I used to think like that. So uh, we're now what? Uh, I quit my job in two thousand and seven. Nick in two thousand and six. Yeah. So I used to think like that too because I always had the idea of like, oh my gosh, I need to pay my mortgage. I need to buy steaks for the barbecue. I need money in my own name. But I found if you build a business long term enough and stay consistent with it you can produce enough in the business where it's not all about extracting everything personally and your overall net worth will increase by building that asset up that holds your rental properties and holds your active businesses and a smaller portion of your overall income uh, from your your whole life is required personally and it's 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 not that big of a deal but when you're beginning it's the end of every it argument yeah. because it's yeah. like, well, I have to take the money out personally to live, which I completely 100% understand. But now that I see the big picture a little differently, I'm like, it's still worth it 
because you, to, in my eyes, the tax efficiencies that you get from holding stuff in corporations, both real estate and you know your active businesses, longer term, there's a lot more tax efficiencies to you. There's a lot more advantages to you than just earning income personally. Well, the growth is big because you're using, what do you guys say? You guys say 87 cent dollars? Well, before when the tax rate was 15%, we said 85 cent dollars. So every dollar you get in your corp, you have 85 cent dollars left. If you are in the highest tax bracket personally, you've got less than 47 cents per dollar yeah, so left. So you, you get a lot more money to play with and turn over for, for growth. Totally. Right? So I think that's just a mental, but I, so I, I understand because Nick, I get the same question all the time. And I think that's just a mental thing where I was so concerned of like, holy crap, like I got to make my mortgage well, payment here. Like I can't, I, I have to pay tax. So I'm freaking out. I'm going to pay it at that rate and, and the corporation, then I'm going to take it personally and pay tax. But if you can keep, if you can think long term and you're dedicated to what you're building, overall, it's worth the battle. It, it, it absolutely is. I mean, it, that's a really great point, and I get that question a lot. And um, the, the, we always have to remember that the corporation and the fact that we're paying that, that, that low rate, and actually it's going to go down another percentage point January 1st of 2019. So it's going to be 12.5% for 2019. Now again, there's a there's a federal election next year, so that could change. But that's sort of the uh, substantively enacted rates right now. Um, but corporations definitely aren't for everyone. There are certain uh, sole proprietors out there that have you know operated as a sole proprietor for 20 years that don't make good corporate um, people, because when we have a corporation, that corporation is separate from us. It's an entity unto itself. It has a bank account. It operates. And whatever it earns is its money. When we tend to have you know, people who have operated as sole proprietors for a long time, when they incorporate, they continue to believe that it's, it's their business. And those people do not make good corporate people because they, they basically take out all of the money that and, and so the they corporation the corporation dry that's and right it can't, it can't and so a big benefit of the corporation and, and of paying that low rate is as long as the money stays in the corporation we're getting the benefit of the deferral and that was i mean the, all of the you know the the recent changes that the government made to passive investing and to income sprinkling it was to stop or to minimize some of this benefit that we that we were getting by using corporations and leaving the money in because if we, if we take an example of we have a corporation that we earn $100,000 in. So we have $100,000 in profit in our corporation. Just to use easy numbers, I'm going to use the old tax rate at 15%. So at the end of the year, we have $85,000 after paying tax in our corporation. If we were to take that $85,000 out of the corporation as a dividend to the individual, and the individual then paid tax on the $85,000, under the way integration works with our tax rules, we essentially have paid exactly the same amount of tax that we would have otherwise paid if we were self-employed. So we've, we've really, we've, we've, we've netted You've no benefit gained. from having the corporation. So How a, a significant benefit of the corporation is deferral. It's having the money stay in the corporation and not having to take it out. So back to you know, your point earlier is the bigger we are, and the more, you know, by you can reinvest, but I look at it as right. reinvesting we, back into the business. We can get, we can grow our business significantly faster by using a corporation than we can personally. Because 
without the, assuming that we leave the money into the corporation. Assuming you can make it. enough money to leave some money in. That's right. Yeah. 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 So f- to your point, it makes sense to start that early and you got to work through a bit of a bit of um, yeah, slow period or heartache <laughs> at the start. But Being once broke. you get through that, even if you are, you know, for a few years, you're taking basically everything out. Once you get to, well, this year I left 10 in and I'm going to reinvest that in the business. Next year, that 10 is 20. The next year it's 40. The next year. Now we're, now we're getting, we're getting growth. And now that growth potentially is going to be exponential as we go. We're going to get much larger growth opportunity in a corporation than we are personally just because of the way the tax rates work. Yeah. So you, and I remember the first year that we set up with, and we had multiple corporations, and I think we started a holding corporation. Yeah, we did all this stuff. And I remember Nick and I looking at each other thinking, we paid a lot of money in like filing taxes, and I think we have 50 bucks left over inside this corporate structure. And But thank God we kept pushing through that um, and then starting active businesses and stuff because um, it changes. But for the first year, it was like, wow, is this even worth it? I would say first, the first five years starting an active business, for sure. Nick and I didn't take any money out of the business because there was no real free cash available to take out. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but we weren't just, well, but we, we were, paid, we, paid ourselves. we paid ourselves and we were putting any money back into reinvesting yeah. into the business. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and that's, uh, that's how small businesses grow. That, that is, I mean, that really is the intent and the point of that low rate. It's, it's to foster that growth. Yeah, it's to it. allow Canadian businesses to, to come up with an idea and, and build that idea and grow it into something. You know, there was another accountant. He wrote a book, Simple Numbers. I forget the guy's name. But one of the, I was talking to him. Well, I was somewhere. He's a U.S. guy. And the way he explained it to me was really interesting. So he's like, look, most people when they start businesses – he goes, they just start sucking all this money out of the business. Mm-hmm. But he goes, if you look at it, he goes, one of like the greatest ROIs you can get on your money, if your business is, is a well-structured, successful business, is by reinvesting that money. Because if you look at the growth you get, so if you have an extra 10000 whatever the number is, and you reinvest into the business, what kind of sales is that going to generate or something? So many people are focused on taking that money out. He goes, when you reinvest and putting it in some other alternative stock or whatever, but if you reinvest in business growth, often that gives you these very healthy return on mm-hmm. investments. And, you know, so many people are just focused on taking all the money out. He goes, it's your like best performing asset that gives you the highest return. But you let yet you bleed it. Dry. Bleed it. Try. Yeah, it's a really simple, easy book. Yeah, yeah. that is a good way to do it. It, 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 it is that fear when you're starting of like, oh, my gosh, I just need money. So, well, you know, from the real estate side of things, like forget tax for a second. And I don't know, I guess you're probably the right person to ask. I don't know if there's a lawyer question or not, but I think what a lot of people overlook, I know when it comes to using corporations specifically in real estate, they're always focused on tax because everyone's focused on numbers, but there's a whole liability component. There is. Right? There is. I think for a lot of people that might even early on that, you know, if they have other assets, that outstrips any tax advantages they're going to get anyways. Like that alone can be worthwhile or, or no. I mean, there's certainly, you know, to put a value on it, I don't know. Um, but certainly, you know, a corporation does offer you uh, that liability protection. So, I mean, when we're not looking at, you know, tax savings and when we're not looking at numbers, we also, we have to be sure to consider the non-tax impact. If we put something into a corporation and, and something happens on that property, if that corporation insulates uh, the personal assets, that might be 
you know, reason enough, reason enough that might make that, that move to put that property in the corporation worth more than any tax savings. Cause that's how we started. When we started with corporations specifically, it was for a student's property. At that time, insurance policies were a million bucks. The typical insurance policy, we didn't have another blanket insurance mm-hmm. or umbrella insurance. So we had a million dollar policy on this seven people in the home. If something drastic were to happen, seven lives, even back then when a million bucks was, was worth a lot more than it is now, still doesn't go that far right. for seven yeah. lives. Yeah. Um, so that, it got really interesting really quick just from that aspect of it, never mind the tax advantages. So sometimes if there's no tax advantages, it might still be worth looking at if you have other assets. That's right. I mean, as I said, we, we always want to, we never want to make a decision strictly or purely on uh, tax consequences. Because, I mean, by doing that, we're overlooking, uh, could be numerous other things. Um, and, and those things could be, you know, everything from liability to um, estate planning or all sorts of other things that have nothing to do with actual numbers. So we always, when we're making any decision, whether it be, a, you know, incorporation or any other tax decision, you always want to make sure you take a step back and go, okay, well, does this make sense from a non-tax perspective? Is there a liability? Okay, I don't really want to pay the incorporation fee. Um, I, I've already owned the property. I don't want to have to pay land transfer tax to put the property in the corporation. Uh, none of those costs make sense to me. But if we step back and we say, okay, well, the liability on this property for whatever reason is really high, maybe the liability protection offered by a corporation is worth the $10,000 that you're going to spend to actually put it in there. What about when you have properties in and you start using a corporation? Is it capital? How does CRA or how would you think of it when you start uh, buying and selling properties? Is it capital gains or is it business income? You're smiling. <laughs> this is like, I didn't mean it to be a trick question, um, but because I'm thinking once you do things on a regular basis, it's going to be income. And, and you're right. But, but then isn't yeah. it even better to me as a small business because I'm going to be paying like 13 and a half as opposed to the capital gains rate, which is going to Maybe. Be, Okay. Maybe. So again, I'll go back to my standard answers. It depends. Um, when we're flipping or when we're buying and selling, generally that is now you're in the, the business of buying and selling properties. So now we're into where we might be an active business. So in a corporate um, environment, we're paying uh, currently in Ontario 13.5% on that income. So if we have you know, $100,000 uh, $100, of income, if we were to say, well, that $100,000 is a capital gain, now we pay tax on half of it at 50%. So we pay tax on 50000 at 50%, we pay $25,000 in tax. If, we're a small, if that income is subject to small business rates, now we pay 13.5% on $100,000. So now we pay $13,500 in tax instead of $25,000 on tax if it's a capital gain. That so, one seems clear so to me. On if you're, the if face you're buying, of it, okay. On yeah. the face of it, Okay, that makes sense. We're better off if we say it's an active business rather than a capital property that's subject to capital gains. And and that's not false. The second step of that is how do we get the money out of the corporation? So if we say we're a small business, we're going to take a dividend out. So out of the $100,000, we pay 13.5% tax. We basically take the 87 or 86.5 out of the corporation as a dividend and we pay personal tax on the 86.5. If we were under the capital um, gain scenario, so now we've paid 50%, we've paid $25,000 in tax. After tax, we only have 75 to take out of the corporation. It's how that 75 can come out. 
So when we have a capital gain in a corporation, when we the non-taxable portion, so I said $100,000 capital gain, $50,000 is taxable. The other $50,000 goes into a capital dividend account. We can then declare a capital dividend and then basically pay that out to an individual. Capital dividends are not taxable. So we can essentially get $50,000 of corporate cash out of the corporation to the, into the hands of an individual for no personal tax. Okay, so under the scenario one, we take out 86.5, but we pay tax on 86.5. Under scenario two, we've only got $75,000 in cash left in the corporation, but $50,000 of it we can take out tax-free. The other $25,000 we're going to take out, we're going to pay tax on it. But when we take out that other $25,000, we're going to get to take advantage of the refundable tax that I mentioned earlier. So basically the corporation is going to get a refund for a portion of the tax that you paid at 50%. So a portion of that $25,000 This is something tax, you enjoy doing, right? It is something I enjoy yeah, okay. doing. So I actually run scenarios all the time to determine which and one the, of and these, these are great. is better. And you've, you've done that just talking to us about stuff. And this is why at the beginning I said it's pretty exciting because once you figure out some of this stuff, you can you can start putting it to your advantage. If That's you right. know how it all works in advance, it's just in the first few years of anything, you don't. Um, right. And that's where accountants and, and lawyers and, you know, everybody else, that's where the advisors come in is to say, you know, I understand on the face of it, that it looks like this option is better, but we have to look a little bit longer term to say, is it actually, yeah, yeah. if we look but at in that example, so it, it could work to pay the higher capital gains tax inside the business at 25%, because then if I take $50,000 out or roughly or whatever, I think that's also dependent on if the person earns any other income any well. Uh, the capital dividend is, is, is not, uh, okay. the, the taxable okay. dividend would be. Yes. Okay. So I take 50,000 out free and clear. Um, and then I have $25,000 still left inside the corporation to reinvest and build up that corporation. Uh, well, and even from a capital dividend perspective, you could take that out and then loan it back to the corporation so that at some point in the future, you can take $50,000 out tax-free. So there's, there's always- it. So if I didn't need the 50, that's right. I could just yeah. take it and loan it back. So I'm just claiming that for a future benefit for myself. That's exactly and right. And I just, yeah. yeah, okay, this is pretty cool. And uh, I guess maybe it's just the geek coming on at me. Like, I think that's pretty cool sh shit. Um, so I just want to make uh, something clear when we talk about this that I wasn't clear on when, when Nick and I first started is that that uh, tax rate of 13 and a half, that's on the net income. So you could be running a multi-million dollar revenue yep. business and then, you know, you have your cost of goods, cost of services or whatever, you can have all your expenses, your tax on, on the profit that's left that's right. over. Yep. So it's not like $500,000 is the size of the business. That's on that that low tax rate is on the first five hundred thousand right. dollars. Yes. So yep. then, if your business has a higher net income than that in Canada mm -hmm. or in Ontario, let's say Ontario, what is the tax rate after that? So the tax rate on anything over five hundred thousand dollars, again in Ontario, is twenty six and a half percent. And that's going right up. Is there a cap on that, or that's the corporate tax rate? That's basically the corporate tax rate. There is some caveats to that, but in general, for a small business, you're going to be paying at twenty six and a half percent on anything over five hundred k. Okay, so 13 and a half going down to 12 and a half, possibly. Looks like it, it, it is. Right now, it's it enacted, yep. so it should be okay. January 1st. And then 1st. after $500,000 of net income, 26 and 26 a half. And it's a half. not that bad of a deal. Well, when you consider if you're self-employed and you're in the highest tax bracket person, exactly. you're paying 53 and a half percent. Yeah. Now, again, we always have to look at, okay, I'm, st I'm, I'm, I'm paying 26 and a half in the corp, but any money I take out, I still have to pay personal tax on. 
Agreed. But once you get pat one, if you are agreed, I just think that if you can have the long term in mind, it, 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 it will be better uh, off because you're absolutely. right for the first couple of years, it's going to suck because you're going to be hit twice. I just think you either think with that mentality, like I'm just always going to pay the lowest tax rate. So that way, therefore, I'm not going to start a corporation. I'm not going to build this entity and, and this equity within it. Or you decide you're going to and it sucks for a year, two, three years. But afterwards, it's a huge benefit. That's my. That's what it, we've kind of seen. It's a long term game. It's a long term game. But um, the, all the best decisions are made with a long term vision. Right. You you have to look at where you want to go, not necessarily where you are right totally. now. Totally. So a corporation. A lot of that we're sounding a little uh, kind of cliche. A little stuff, bit. But no, but a it's legit. Bit. It's the truth. Yeah. I mean, if if you want certainly in in Canada with the small business rate, if you want to build an active business and you want to grow that into something substantial, you want to incorporate. Yeah, There's yeah. no question. Um, you know, whether to incorporate real estate or not, different set of sure, circumstances, yeah, yeah. different set of, um, you know, points that we would want to cover off and determine which way we want to go. But when we're looking at an active business, especially in a scenario where you don't need all of the money that you're going to generate from your business on an annual basis, corporation is absolutely the way to go. Now, again, income sprinkling changes, the changes they made earlier this year or late last year to income sprinkling have lessened the benefit of obviously small business. Um, the changes that they've made to passive investments within corporations has lessened the benefit of, but the benefit still exists. And I mean, always will, but it's a little bit less in 2018 than it was in 2017. Just hearing you talk about this, uh, your father, your late father-in-law now gave us such great advice. Like he was a real mentor to us and he gave us a few, uh, some advice around accounting and taxes. He said, you know, basically you always want to pay your fair share of taxes, you know, and it's not a bad thing. It, it is and I Canada. when Nick and I realized that <laughs> and accepted that, and then it is Canada. We have sidewalks and sewers and, you know police officers and firefighters yeah. and we can all joke about that but nick and i were in croatia when our a family farm had like a brush fire come up onto it the firefighters took quite a long time so much so that we made a chain going to the well pulling water and running buckets of water to try to put this out as the fire came close to the barn where our aunt keeps all the hay that she needs to feed the animals throughout right, the winter right you know, whereas in Canada, you call the fire firefighters and they're going to be there in yeah, like 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. my, I remember also being in Croatia at one time with our massive rainstorm. And when it rains there in the summer, it rains. And it was coming down the side of like a steep hill, like a little mountain kind of thing. And the van that we were in actually skidded sideways because so much more water was running across the road. And I remember my kids saying, hey, wow, wow, we never see that in Canada. And then I say, yeah, it's because in Canada we have sewers yeah, that collect yeah, this yeah. water and it doesn't run across the road like an inch and a half thick while you're driving 80 kilometers an hour on the side of a cliff with the Adriatic Sea next to you. you know? <laughs> so for these reasons, taxes are good. But he also, so he said that and it just really, you know, it makes me appreciate Canada and everything. Um, and the second thing, uh, Nick, I'm sure will remember the story. He said, the turtle wins the race. That he, when, when he was with his friends as early young accountants, mm -hmm. they all, always used to be so impressed and amazed by businesses with like hyper growth and like big revenue hits. But then when he came to realize many years later that the companies and businesses just had the long-term vision and kind of plodded along, um, really were the ones who were building something. Right. And yeah. that really, I don't know why that stuck with us. You, I'm sure you remember that conversation, yeah, no, right? I was, I, 
always remember that. It always it always hit home because I think it's just it's just not a sexy story, right? That's the challenge with it because the sexy story is these overnight successes, which nothing is normally an overnight success anyway. So it means they've been working for five years, getting nowhere, and then finally they had the breakthrough. But uh, but yeah, it probably kind of like just solidified some of our thinking, which is why it helped, and it felt like it was kind of somewhat of a lot of experience. I had seen a lot of stuff. We're like, oh, that's really interesting. Totally. So. Um so there's, uh, you know, there's tax, there's insurance policy stuff that we want to, you know, could, that you can use insurance policies. We're not going to sure, be able to yeah. get to that uh, right now on this on this talk. Um, but there's all that. That's a pretty deep discussion on stuff to, to chat it, it's, about. It's a great way to use some of the deferred low tax money inside a corporation, inside an active business. It's a good way to, use, you know, life insurance or other insurance type policies. Um are really good ways to sort of save future value by making an investment uh, in something today. And because again, because we're paying that um, that low rate of tax, the, uh, the every dollar we're investing is a little bit higher. Yeah, I think it does make a difference. Like when we started early on, it you know it didn't seem like a big deal. Um, but now with with active businesses and, and, and some income coming through them. You see the growth level of that, you know, when you're not paying that, when you're paying a lower tax rate um, inside inside a corporation there, and you leave the money in the corporation, it, it makes a difference because you can accumulate assets easier and then reinvest them in other assets, which is kind right. Of like yeah. If you're building a foundation of assets for yourself, which is what we've always tried to do. If you're not looking to do anything, now, that's fine. That's a whole different thing. But it's made it's clearly made a difference because when you're turning over money, you're, you're essentially saving what thirty. Maybe slightly more, even at the even at the higher tax rate. If you you know beyond the five hundred thousand, yeah. you're still saving what roughly twenty five percent. So when you're investing with a twenty five percent more money, it makes a difference. It's just that every Canadian should figure out a way to start a bit. Like that's to me, it just seems like you should figure out a way. And I know it's case by case, and but overall, if you have the opportunity to start a business, you should because there's just so many tax advantages around it. To me, the first few years are going to be. You're not going to notice much of an improvement in your financial life, and it might <laughs> even be negative with tax filings and all that kind of stuff. But it, it, it's just worth it. Well, I mean, again, when we look at the non-tax side of that, is you're in control of your life. You decide when you do things and how you do things, and you don't have, you know, when you work for whomever, they're telling you at one point in time they started that business, or the family, or the generation, or ten generations before that started that business, but they're the ones making the decisions. You're just kind of along for the ride. When you have your own business, you're building something for your family, for your for your kids, your grandkids, and you know all those other things. Yeah, that, that brings it back to the saying of the entrepreneur is the only person that work 60 hours a week, not to work 40 hours a week. Yeah, totally. That's that right. About, <laughs> that about sums up. Okay, so Andrew, as we kind of uh, just before we wrap up here, are there some obvious things that you're asked a lot, um, or obvious mistakes that people uh, make when it comes to real estate taxes? Anything come to mind? Um, hmm, I get asked that a lot, and I normally can think of something. Uh, no, that's okay. I mean, we- a lot of people, the, their first question is, should I incorporate? Um, I, I mean, 90% of the time. Because I find most real estate investors specifically want to incorporate. That's like the number one. And sometimes the answer is n- no. Like if it there's no, cool. it does sound cool. It does <laughs> well, sound cool. Well, I mean, I think to some extent there's a lot of reasons. It sounds cool. 
people hear that low, hey, 13% or 13.5% or 15% tax. Yeah, but with real estate specifically, it's a little trickier. But they don't necessarily realize that that rate doesn't apply to real estate. Or, you know, they hear capital gains exemption and they think, oh, I'm going to be able to sell my corporation that owns my real estate and I'm going to save on the first $850,000 of the sale proceeds. It doesn't work like yeah, that. Yeah, we didn't address that because every individual in Canada has that tax exemption. The ca- yeah, the capital gains exemption, everybody has it. It's it's around $850,000 right here. It's indexed. Um, but it only applies to very specific types of um, property, and real estate is not one of them. So a corporation holding real estate, in general, there may be situations where this would not, where it actually would be eligible, but in general, a corporation that holds real estate and it is in the real in the business or not in the business, but it basically rents real estate and its income is generated from rental income. Now we're into one of those five things. Rents, real, rents royalties, interest, capital gains, and dividends. We're now into where we're passive. That corporation is not eligible for the capital gains exemption. So people kind of hear a lot of different things and go, I'm going to incorporate yeah, because I'm going to get yeah, you know, yeah. all these benefits. There absolutely is benefits in, in, in incorporating, but you know, for person A, the benefits might not be great enough. They're different. And for yeah, person yeah. B, they may be. absolutely make We've sense. We've been telling everyone as a rule of thumb with no other consideration to your family situation or whatever, until your portfolio has enough free and clear cash flow to at least pay for the overhead of incorporating, maybe don't even go down the path just well, yet. So the, and, and that advice absolutely makes sense. The, as long as, when they decide to incorporate, they don't want to put their existing properties into the and corporation. Because you're going to pay land transfer. Because you're going to have to pay land transfer yeah, yeah. tax. And again. So land transfer and fair market value on the value of the property, no? In general, again, that's more a lawyer because they're the okay. ones that are going to determine what that cost is. Okay. But, I mean, depending on the value of your property, and if it's in Toronto, there could be additional fees and, yeah. you know, to yeah. move that property as well. So I always tell people, if you want to incorporate, again, we have to always think long term. If I'm going to incorporate, it may make sense to incorporate today, even though I don't have the cash flow to, to actually cover my upfront costs to actually get my corporation or corporations set up. But it still may make sense to do that today because if I want the properties, let's let's for argument's sake say I have I I, I have two or three properties by the time I decide to incorporate, and I really want to put those two or three properties into the corporation, the legal fees, the accounting fees, and the land transfer tax to put those properties into the corporation after the fact is going to probably be two or three times more than what it would have cost to set up the, the corporations first and put the properties in when they were originally purchased. How does, okay, okay, so you're bringing up good points. How does the, uh, I just want to ask one more question. How does the government look at something that maybe I had to qualify with the banks? Because the banking system is going to be very different than the tax system, which is very different than the legal system. So let's say I had to qualify for the property under my own name. However, on day one, or from day one, I recognize and report the income from a rental property that I've purchased under a corporation. Is that something CRA recognizes or is that, nah, I can't really do that? From what I have seen, um, CRA has does not have an issue with that. So okay. CRA- As long as it's from day one? As long as it's from day one. So okay. if the intent at the time the property was purchased was to have that property owned in the corporation and you know from day one it is reported as though it is owned by the corporation and there are legal documents to support 
the fact that the beneficial owner of that property okay, is the so corporation, you, okay. then I have not had any issue with CRA with respect okay. to that setup. Okay. So you should be aware that it could be a possibility, but it's not black and white either. It's it's definitely not black and white. Okay. Um, could CRA challenge it? Sure, but sure. why would they if you were paying them taxes? As, I mean, as again, as long as you're reporting the income and you're reporting the expenses correctly, are they going? Are they likely to come in and say, "Well, we yeah. think that should have been reported personally as opposed to corporately"? I don't think so. I mean, to a certain extent, a taxpayer is able to organize their affairs in such a way, um, as long as that way is not purposefully avoiding tax. We're not purposely avoiding tax by setting things up this way. Yeah, yeah. We're setting it up in maybe a tax efficient way. In some cases, maybe it's not even yeah. tax efficient. Yeah. But it's a long term plan that makes sense. Uh, so we're not we're not trying to pull the wool over. We're not trying to do something untoward. We're just we're Got setting it. our affairs up in this manner. And, and that's the kind of thing that we would have never known had we not been exposed to someone like yourself. And I think it's why we tell everyone, hey, just get good advice because it's hard For to sure. get this information. I mean, like I find, especially from accountants, I find I'm pointing at it. You can't see this, but I'm now <laughs> pointing at Andrew. Uh, you know, accountants usually kind of keep their cards close to their their chest and don't want to share some of this stuff. And that's why we just wanted to thank. There's more to ask you about and we'll bring you on, but we want to thank you for just talking like this because for sure. most people won't. So thank you for sharing this kind of information. It's, it's hard to find, you know, especially when you're starting out, I find for sure. difficult to track this kind of stuff yeah, down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and understand what you read. Yeah. I still don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, every meeting we've had with you over the years, we always feel good talking to you, and then we walk out to the elevators afterwards, and we're like, "Did you did you completely understand that?" And you know, you know what? When you explain it, I understand it. And, and five minutes later, I'm yeah, like, not even. I was like, I'm thirty meters later down the hallway. So, Andrew, can you just for anyone who wants to reach out to you, you know, your firm. What's the best way? Is there a URL that you can hand out? Uh, yeah. So we have our own website. Uh, it's LegoeAssociates.com. So L-U-G-O-W-Y Associates.com. So LegoeAssociates.com. You guys are in Hamilton, We're Ontario. right downtown Hamilton, Ontario. Um, your clients are coming from all over the place, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah. Actually, I have a number of clients from sort of the Ottawa area, which is where I grew up. Um, I actually have a few out in uh, on the East Coast. I have uh, some in Alberta and a couple in BC. Um, with sort of the online world now, we can do a whole lot of stuff without being in the same place. Uh, but the majority of my client base is certainly Southern Ontario. Because you were with Deloitte, you mentioned. I was with Deloitte now, for a few years. Yeah, now you're, uh, you're your own firm and... Uh, yeah, no, we're just grateful that we crossed paths. So you've been really a great help to us over the years, and uh, we really trust your guidance. So, you know, thank you. For, absolutely. For, for absolutely. I mean, I, I certainly, every time we, you know, I take part in, in one of your events or, or we have a conversation, I think I learn as much from the from you and Nick as, as yeah, hopefully cool. you guys learn from me. So. Yeah, cool. Yeah, totally. Two-way street. Thank you for that. So legoeassociates.com. Um, and uh, you guys do personal taxes, corporate. Ta is there a specialty that you guys we do? We do a little bit of everything. Okay. We do personal corporate trusts. As I said, I'm publicly licensed. So we do reviews and audits, mostly of not-for-profits, but we have some for-profits that we uh, work with. Um, uh, we do estates. Uh, I do a lot of planning. Um, certainly our focus, uh, I would say we're probably somewhat real estate focused. Uh, the highest percentage of one specific type of client is certainly real estate. Um, yeah, you've been one of the few people and firms that can talk to the real estate investor we have found 
um, accurately because it seems like there's a lot, I guess if you don't specialize in the area, you just don't know all the little details and nuances of it. So that's been a really big help over the years I've found. For sure. I mean, there, there's a lot out there. I mean, you know, if we look at the field of accounting and there's a lot of different areas that you might specialize in, uh, I would certainly call myself a generalist. I'm not really, really good at any one thing, but I'm, I'm pretty good at a bunch of different things. Real estate, I would say is certainly our special specialization. Way, yeah. Um, I, certainly know more about real estate and the deductions and where we can and you know the benefits of incorporation uh planning the sale or purchase of properties and the intricacies related to those than potentially some other uh, accountants for sure just because they may specialize in in other areas sure. or in other types of accounting. over the years what nick and i have found is that when you use uh, someone like yourself who's able to explain and uh, set things up accurately and efficiently, your kind of fear of the government and CRA kind of goes <laughs> away because you kind of know what you're dealing with. You're like, okay, this could happen or that can happen. Right. Here's yeah. how we're choosing to proceed um, and let's see how things progress. And it's never trying to uh, avoid the government by any means, but sometimes it's interpreting tax laws I find is like half the battle because I don't feel like you guys get all the answers sometimes and you kind of have to like manage your way through. And as a, as a, as corporate a corporate owner you need guidance like that so for sure i mean i think it's like anybody in any business and, and i'm the same i you know i work with lawyers i work with other accountants because there's areas that are not necessarily my strength um so we have to rely on as any business each owner, other we yeah. have to rely on each other to a certain extent um and then you know obviously we need to work with cra we need to work with the tax act we need to understand the areas that are gray which is where we want to be and not the areas that are black and white. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So, LegoeAssociates.com. Yes. Andrew, thank you so much. We'll do this again. We're going to talk sure. some insurance stuff. All right. Great. Later. Hey, everyone. It's Tom Kratz again. So, hopefully, you enjoyed that. Um, at the end and towards the end of that, we realized just how much more there is to talk about insurance and some of the tax efficiencies around insurance. Um, so, uh we agree with Andrew. We'll bring him back on. We might bring in one of our insurance contacts to go through that as well. So as always, if you have any um, thing that you want us to cover on these uh, episodes, please email us at podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. Um, if you're enjoying this stuff and you haven't given us a review yet on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate that. It's at uh, on iTunes. You can uh, find the Your Life, Your Term show. Give us a review. Share some feedback. We greatly appreciate that. Um, we're kind of thrilled with the whole podcast experience so fast. Uh, so far so we're, we're loving this stuff we have a bunch of guests lined up um and uh if you listened to andrew today and you want to get a hold of him he handed out his contact information there but the url for him is um legoeassociates.com and legoey is l-u-g-o-w-y associates.com legoeassociates.com until next time everyone your life your terms <laughs>